right, here we are. Here we are. Welcome back. Welcome back. Welcome back. Science in between. Yes. Here yes. And, and I'm Scott. And I'm Ollie. And and, uh, and this is a podcast. Yes, it is. Mm-hmm. And this, do, 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 that's the drum drum beat, you know. Yeah. That's the uh, drum roll. That's what it's called. <laughs> this is episode one of year three. It is of season three of our of our science in between podcast. And so I, I guess this is this is a topic I propose, so I will set it up, I guess. Frame know. it for yeah. us. Yeah. No. Why not? Why not? Oh. Yeah. So cloud. here is the setup. Um we're we've talked about this on a couple other occasions where we are uh doing professional development around the state. One of the things we're gonna be using to sort of frame this year of professional development that we're going to be doing with these folks is uh, some videos around exemplary teaching, specifically yes. around ambitious science teaching practices. And so there's a series of videos that are broken down to the different practices that are embedded with uh, AST, ambitious science teaching. And as I was watching these videos recently, I'm like, you know, if, if I didn't have science background, I'd be watching these and would be really confused and so this comes back to, and I think we talked about this at one point, maybe in, in season one, but I think it, it deserves uh, some reexamination is how do we look or what do we look for when we're mm-hmm. watching teachers teach and, and how do we help others see the things we see? Cause I know this is a, you know, some work that you do and have mm-hmm. done um, specifically around the development of professional vision yep. and, you know, helping novice teachers see from their mm-hmm. own practice you know and i think that's a yeah. pretty pretty good way of setting it up don't you think yeah yeah i mean it certainly professional vision is a way that i have um framed my notions of what it means to have teaching expertise what it means to learn how to teach um and we're not going to dip into that today because that's a complicated thing but i do think the idea of like well there's another paper that um that I wrote that's related to that, which is this idea of the invisible and the transparent, right? So when you're learning to teach in a new way or just learning to teach, excuse me, if you, when you're learning to teach, um, like when with my pre-service teachers, one of the things I talk about with them is they're in a mentor teacher's classroom. They're watching their mentor teacher teach. Well, to, the mentor teacher is just teaching, right? right? So for them, the practice of teaching is transparent in the sense that they don't articulate their choices for all everything that they're doing. They just do what they're doing. They're like, oh, I'm asking a kid this question. I'm doing this thing. It's not that they're not planful, but in the moment, from moment to moment, all that stuff is transparent to them. They just are doing it. And there, there are lots of, they could articulate reasons Maybe if you asked them and stopped and said, hey, why'd you do that? They could probably give you an explanation. Might not be quote unquote true, but it would certainly be their rationalization of that choice. But to uh, to the students sitting in the room, it's invisible. They, yeah. they can't see what that teacher's doing, why they're doing it, right? They can't understand purpose. So one of the things I do do in my pre-service teaching class is really focus on how do we think about making observations and inferences by looking at teaching. Yeah. and and. Specifically with the AST stuff, I was watching the videos and thinking, 
you know, if I didn't have science background, I would look at this and say, it's a frenetic, like chaotic place, right? Mm -hmm. But instead, I was looking at it because I have, you know, some expertise in science education and I have, you know, practicing teacher for a bunch of years. Instead, I was focusing on like the questions that teachers were asking and the responses the students were giving. And uh, to me, I guess it comes back to, you know, those discourse moves that we've talked about a bunch of times is like, you know, rather than, you know, asking questions and the student answers a certain way and then saying no, yes, a lot of those were questions that, you know, depending on how the student answered, then they asked additional follow-up questions just to probe and develop their understanding and, and to help them hone, help the students hone their own explanations, which was really cool to watch and really complex and complicated. Mm-hmm. And, and, but you're watching this classroom and you're seeing all of these people doing all of like students and teachers doing all of these really what would look like like to be chaos but it's so yeah. much more than that right. right yeah well it goes back to and we've certainly talked about this in in other contexts and we won't spend a lot of time on it focused on it but this idea of like one of the things we have to think about when helping people develop these kinds of practices is we have to help the administrators and the observers right. the official observers understand that what's going on here is not chaos that that this is intentional improvisational practice, right? It's something that requires that openness and and kids being able to explain their ideas and think through them. And, and it's messy and complicated and sometimes noisy and chaotic, um, but that's normal and natural and part of the process. So um, helping administrators say, yeah, I can, I can sit back and let this happen and and not, you know, as you've said, not say, oh, I'll come back on a day when you're teaching. Teaching, right. 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 Well, I think that we've talked about the improvisation before, and I still, I still think that's a great metaphor because you could go to a concert and watch someone improvise and you're like going, oh, well, this guy's just totally riffing, just like totally making stuff up on. But it mm-hmm. takes years and years of practice and expertise to be able to develop this, this sort of improvisational skill, the improvisational expertise to be able to do that right. and to know the right note to play and the, and the, and the wrong notes to avoid. Right. Right. And, and, and even building on that a little bit, like that, that all of that improvisation actually is referential. So there right. they will play a riff and it's a reference to a John Coltrane riff, or it's a reference to a you know, so there, the music is, is disciplined right? Even though it's improvisational. Yeah. So I guess that for me, the challenge is, you know, when we do this professional development, how do we help people see? How do we help these right. folks see what we see? And and the, not only to be able to see it, but then to be able to do it. And that's, I think, where, you know, some of this breaks down with this improvisation, because I could watch somebody play a saxophone, hundred times, right? Yeah. And I could say, well, I mean, not that I know anything about playing the saxophone, Amazing. but right. But if I, you know, maybe it was a trumpet player and I would say, well, this is what the trumpet player is doing, but me explaining it, right. And having them watch it isn't enough for them to be able to do it. No. 
And maybe it's not even enough for them to understand it, right? Like right. you can say, okay, what he's doing here is this is a minor fifth and this is a, bl-. I mean, I'm making music stuff up because sure. I re- I, you know more music than me by a mile. But, you know, like, oh, this chord change, here he does a key change and here the tempo went from a 4-4 four, four to a 15-13, I don't know, whatever it is, <laughs> you know, made up things. I think right there, you just, yeah. you just, I was pretty good up until there. the 15-13. Right yeah, right I, I there. It's like, maybe there's hmm. some uh, like moody blues or something that has like maybe. a 15-13. Uh, whatever. <laughs> but anyway, but yeah, I mean, all that sort of technical language doesn't really help you understand it either. Right. And we do that with pre-service teachers too. Like, right. oh, pressing and probing and whatever. It's like, well, that's useful stuff. But again, only once you understand what's going on and you can hang those on some. Yeah. So I guess you've used, you've done video analysis, right? So you've done yeah. some of that. Are you still doing that work? Do you think? Um, well, I do, I certainly do it in my own research. Um, I do less of it with my pre-service teachers than I have in the past. And and the main reason for that is because I'm now in schools. Um, so they, instead of watching video of practice, they can actually watch real people practice and we can talk about it in the moment. So that I think has turned into a more powerful teaching experience, but I do historically, I used to do a lot of video analysis in my pre-service teaching classes where it was like, yeah, you had to watch the video and we used video analysis software and they had to code it and mark it up. And really, you know, it was, it was, uh, interesting work uh, and I thought really useful, but I think video for me has been replaced by a more direct experience. But I do think it's a powerful way to help pre-service teachers understand science teaching. And did you think it helped them beyond understanding the practice of others? Were they able to take those practices and and take them and instill them in their own practice? Yeah. I mean, to some degree, I think yes, but I think that's hard too. I mean, some of it is that I don't have a, as much data about that as I would like. Sure. Um, you know, we've got a proposal now that we're we're working on that would do some cross-institutional work that would allow us to do that kind of comparison where we could look at teachers after, during the methods course in their student teaching and then in their first year teaching to look at how many of these sort of practices are robust and carry on into their teaching practice, especially their first year, because we know that's a rough year. And we also know that that's the year that most teachers are going to revert to the mean because the local culture sure. is going to press them back right. and that's, say, that's, oh, that's, that's nice. That's my dissertation right there. Exactly. It's nice that you learned all this fancy stuff up at Penn State, but here's how the here's how teaching really works. Right. Exactly. Oh, okay. Well, well this is how we teach science here. Yeah. Here, Those, and here yeah. are the PowerPoints. Yeah. Uh, so go away now. Yes. Do your thing. But let's, yeah, but let's talk about like how we think about this. Like, um, have you done, have you done video analysis in, in any of your experience working, working either in PD or, or in pre-service teacher work? Yeah, we try to do some of it here. Um, and it's mainly to, it, it's not as structured because we don't have the coding stuff that you, you had. Uh, we mm-hmm. tried to early on to get some of that. Um, but more, we have our, our teacher candidates looking and we tie it to the Danielson model because that's one of the things that um you know our school is supposed to be embracing you know department of education this is one of the models i think this is a uh, a part that you know if you talk to charlotte danielson i mean we could do a show on charlotte danielson right yeah. um but it's another one of those things the theme of the show where the the thing becomes so institutionalized and bastardized that it be the product itself 
over, you know, overlives, outlives, you know, what the initial purpose was. Right. And so that's where these, you know, the, the Danielson model is. And so we've sort of framed our analysis around this, that the teachers are, our teacher candidates are to collect some evidence, um, usually developmentally at a couple of different stages of their teaching and, and connecting it to one of the do- domains of, of Danielson, um, looking at how they've developed and mm-hmm. to be able to look at it specifically. Now, it doesn't have to be video. It could also be audio because, the, you know, some of our schools have some real challenges with um, video recordings. Mm-hmm. And so yep. while we, you know, a lot of our uh, teacher candidates have iPads where they can actually record and do, a, you know, um, editing and, you know, show their progress. Um, it's not something that's, you know, universal or institutionalized at, at our school. Um, it was a hope initially that that's what something we were going to be able to do. Um, and I think there's still some, we have a, um, some new leadership um, and there's kind of a, a discussion around more video analysis, but we'll see how that goes. Um, mm-hmm. Because I think that there, there are some folks that I work with who definitely are into that and was something I, you know, was working on years ago to try to get that developed. Um, but it was just like, how many times can you beat your head against the wall before you, you sure. stop that? Yep. Right? It's like, I'm yep. not going to do that anymore. No, I'm all done yeah. With that. yeah. Yeah. So, so let's, let's get to the nitty gritty then. And, and do you want to talk about some things that you saw in the videos that, um, you know, as you were watching them that you thought would be helpful in thinking about those, those, those scenes? Well, I think the big one for me was the questioning. And, and I think that also how like the discourse moves, we've talked about that, right? We've talked about discourse moves, you know, but I think that more than anything was the, I guess, how the teacher placed himself in the classroom, not as somebody who was going to give answers or even knew the answers but was placing themselves and the way they talked to the students as somebody who was directing conversations. Mm -hmm. And that was the part that I I thought was hardest would be hardest to describe to somebody who was watching it and say, okay, do you see how this teacher in this setting was really positioning themselves? Not as, I mean, they're clearly an expert. They know what they're talking about. They know they know the content, they know student learning, they know how to direct conversations to help students know what to look at and how what to consider. Um, but that the way they position themselves in the classroom, not like physically, not geographically sure. in the class, but in terms of how they, because I mean, for one, one, you know, student was, uh, was really disengaged. In one of the, mm-hmm. in the lessons, so as I was watching, I was like, "What what's going to happen with that kid?" Right? Because mm-hmm. they were really disengaged, and and uh, the, the teacher came over and said, "So what do you think?" And he's like, "I don't know." And she's like, mm-hmm. you, "You don't have an explanation." And he's like, "No." She, she's like, "Come on, you got to have the explanation, right?" I mean, yeah. you have to. Yeah. Like, is it? Don't you or find this ideas cute? or yeah something. or ideas? Isn't this curious? And and he's like, "I guess so, yeah." And she's like. So this is, and then she says, well, t- tell me what, what happened in terms of, you know, what you saw and t- they were using a video of, of a tanker imploding, 
Right. Mm-hmm. And this is a, a pretty classic phenomenon. And we've talked, I think we've talked about this, Yeah, but, um, so too. but she has the student, you know, describe the, the activity, describe what he observed, which was, I think really smart because now he was no longer disengaged. Now he was engaged and he was coming out of a place that he had some expertise. Mm-hmm. Like he could do that. Mm-hmm. Right. And so yeah. instantly he was, you know, and then she started asking questions about the description. Well, did you see this? Did you see this? Or was he, th- was this happening or was this happening? And really just, you know, questioning the teacher, I mean, questioning the student to be able to help him further. Like it's, it's like, okay, I, I'm, I don't know. I have nothing. And then mm-hmm. she's like, okay, no, you have this. And then she just helped him expand what he knew. I mean, he knew a lot more than he thought he knew, mm-hmm. but his first place was, I don't know anything. And then she was just like, helped him. It was almost like, you know, uh, I, I'm going to give a really bad metaphor, but it's like you put like a, a drop of water on like a, a a paper towel and slowly that that water mark just expands. Mm-hmm. And it's what the teacher was doing for this. Like he, he was like, I, I got no explanation, but he he had much more understanding than he was giving himself credit for. And she was helping him uncover that. Yeah. yeah. And it was masterful. And it was like, that was the thing that I, I think was the, uh, the part where I was like, yes, that you have to have expertise to do that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think to your point, to the point that we were making earlier, you do have to have expertise to do that, but it's also very unclear how to learn how to do that. Right. Right. Because you look at it and you're like, okay, that, like you say, that was masterful, but how do I do that? Because when I go to a kid, they're not just going to say, I don't know. Or if they do say, I don't know, saying what she said to that kid in that moment is not, not likely to work. Right. Because context matters right right so so this isn't like a this isn't like a set of of little prompts that you can carry around and say okay pink prompt three pink prompt four right so so the question is how do you develop that skill set um for doing it and you know interestingly right now i'm working with my students we just started so we're in the second week of classes right now um and my class when i'm out in the middle school and um and so yesterday, when I was in the school with them, we were talking about this. I came up with a couple of questions for them to think about to help them as they were looking at, at the teaching practice of the teachers they were they were working with. So I'm going to share those with you now as a uh, sort of a beginning framework. And I developed these actually in you know in the context of working with them yesterday. So these were these are new to me too. So I don't lay any great claim that these are super effective, but they seem to work so far. So what we were talking about is, again, we're, we try to, I try to get them to treat this like a science thing, right? So it's like, okay, the phenomenon you're trying to explain is science teaching and you're making observations and then you're going to make inferences. So we're going to differentiate between the things that you can observe and the things that you're inferring. And and I also asked them not to use evaluative language. Oh, I really liked when Ollie did this thing. Like, that's not helpful, right? Um, because liking or not liking is not really the point. The point is, is it doing something? And is, if so, what is it doing? And how do you know it's doing that thing? What's your uh, evidence? So the two questions that I'm, I'm interested in your thoughts on, I asked them to focus on sort of two areas. So one was, 
that thing that that teacher did, whatever talk move or whatever thing that you saw the teacher doing, little it could be an activity, it could be a talk move, it could be anywhere in between. First of all, what is that? What is the message communicated to students about science as a practice through that thing that the teacher did? And then what is the message that's communicated about science class as a community? So what I wanted them to think about is both the epistemic nature of science, which is the first question. And then the second question is, how, how do we as a community want to interact and work with each other around science? So one of them is really about teaching. One of them is about science. So um, so I thought I thought that was useful. So let me under, better understand, like, what are these questions intended to do in terms of whenever the te your teacher candidates are observing a teacher teach or yeah. is this a car? Okay. Or when they're doing video analysis, eventually the, the goal of this is, is to have them just like we would with AST and science there. I'm trying to get them to develop their own model right. for science teaching, right? Not of science, but of science teaching. And it's tricky and I've still not quite gotten this right yet. I'm hoping this is the year, but probably it won't be. Um, but I can give you an example, like um, one of the students was watching a lesson and let's, we'll make Ollie the teacher and, and my student, my pre-service teacher observed that a kid said, I have a lot of observations. So I, the teacher came up to him and sa was asking them what observations they made and if they felt like they were done. And um, the student said, I have, or I don't think asked the second part of that question. And then the student said, I have a lot of observations, so I'm all set. I don't need to do anymore. And the teacher said, there's no such thing as being good or being done in science. It's always about seeking and it's, and, and not about stopping and, and you're always trying to improve. And so, um, so I, I asked the, so we talked through this a little bit with my pre-service teachers and, and um, I was asking them those two questions about, well, what, what, when the teacher says this to the kid, what does that communicate about science as a practice? And what does it communicate about science as a, as a science class, as a community? Um, and, you know, so, so we got into talking about norms and what that means uh, to have a norm in the classroom, sort of an unwritten rule. But but that that's where those questions came into play, and we can talk more about it. I felt like I just talked a bunch, so I want to see what you, your thoughts are on that. Well, I think it's a really cool way of framing it, right? Because it gives it gives students a way of not just looking, but like like thinking about the stuff that they see, right? Mm, yeah. And I think that's the important part: is you're you're framing what they see and how they engage with the with what they see in some sort of reflective process mm. right and i think that's beneficial part part of that i mean yeah. i i think you know and the other part is anytime you talk about like epistemology you know how i like yes like, I, i'm like they don't, don't see it at home but i'm like kind of like bouncing in my chair right you know? <laughs> I love me some epistemology. Yeah, anytime epistemology can come up in a in a conversation, which is really what you're trying to do with the second question, right? Is you know have them you know confront that or think about yeah. that or reflect on that. Um, yeah, yeah, because I, I do think those are the big shifts that I'm asking them to think about. One is 
about thinking about science differently, and then one is thinking about science teaching differently. So that's right. how the how the questions sort of operate. Sure. Yeah, and and I think that you know getting out there and you're and they're doing this at a school in which they've been implementing ambition science teaching practices. That's correct. and so yeah. it's it would be easy for them to see those practices and see them as not as instructional strategies mm-hmm. solely. Yeah. Right. Yeah. As, as activities for the students and strategies for the teacher. Yeah. Right. And they're deeper than that. Yeah. And actually you and I had a meeting today in which that came up in the conversation, right? right? Because it was, it's not just about, um, Hey, we're going to do this thing differently. We're going to, change how we do science in our classroom. It's more than that. It's about what we teach about science through mm. how we teach science. That's right. Yep. Exactly. And that's the big thing that you're trying to help them unpack because they're not it's not just hey the teacher is here teaching them a different way of learning science. Right. No, no, no. They're teaching them a different way of learning what science is. Right. Yeah. And and what we were talking about in that conversation is that just saying that to them, like, okay, science is, you know, like if we listen to nature, right, the nature of science stuff, it's tentative. Right. Well, what is, I mean, so, or, you know, scientists collect data and analyze it to answer questions and like, okay, so I can remember that and tell you that back and say, okay, this is what scientists do. You know, we've talked about the scientific method. There've been all these ways to try and characterize what science is, but just knowing that list of whatever somebody decided was what science is, doesn't mean you actually understand science. The way that you understand science is by engaging in the practice of science. And so that, that's what we're talking about is that kids have to learn it by doing it. And, um, and so so and and that's true both of understanding how science works and also how a science classroom works. Right. And I think the important part with that is what it means to do science. To right. do science isn't about just like engaging in you know using equipment. Right. Right. Being hands-on. Being so, hands-on mm. cuz that's the thing that you can look at the lesson, right? Those AST lessons and say Oh, they're doing science. I mean, they're, you know, using hot plates and they're heating up these things and they're putting it in water and they're making observations and all that. Yeah, that's but that that is probably gonna look very familiar to anybody who's, you know, taught science or worked in a science setting, you know, or taken a science class. Mm-hmm. It's gonna look familiar. The difference is how they engage with the process of the of making the explanations. Mm-hmm. You know, create explanations and also how the teacher positions themselves and the students in regard to that stuff. Mm-hmm. That's the big challenge. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's and and that that's, comes back to this idea of the norms, right? This idea of like, what are the unwritten rules of the classroom? Like you can put your classroom rules on the board and say, okay, right. we're going to respect each other and and respect looks like this. No cell phones. Yeah, no cell phones. <laughs> no, right? So you can do that. But ultimately, even if you put that list on the on the board, the way those rules 
actually manifest is by the day-to-day individual choices and behaviors of the people in that classroom. It's how a teacher responds to a kid on a particular day. It's how a teacher lets or doesn't let a kid respond to another kid in a particular way in class. So all of that stuff is how those things become real to those kids so that they understand what those rules really mean. Well, the same is true with the science. Like if you really want to understand what science means, you've got to try and do it with a bunch of other people. Um, And in this case, hopefully with some support and, and uh, other things from other people, but um, you can't, you can't just be told, Oh, science is tentative. Science involves hypotheses and, and theories. And here's a list of things. Because it's just more content for them to learn. Right. Exactly. It's just more words to memorize. Right. What'd you call them? Mouth words. Mouth words. (laughs) I hear your mouth words. Yeah. But that's what it is. It's just more mouth words. And it's not, um, it's not a practice. It's just mouth words. It's just things that you're saying and you, you know, you've memorized a definition for them, but definitions of those things are not any more useful than, than like definitions of photosynthesis are useful to kids in terms of explaining how phenomenon work. So having a def having a definition for for what it means for science to be tentative doesn't actually help you understand what it means for science to be tentative, or at least not very much. What helps you understand that science is tentative is that you have tentative explanations, exactly that get better over time based right. on evidence that you're yeah that you collect. So let's go back to observations because now we went down the epistemology sort of rat hole a little bit here. So so. What else, like how else do we need to be thinking or what else have you thought about in terms of thinking about looking at practice? Yeah. So, you know, when we're, we're talking about like equipment, you know, that's, I, that's the part where I think, and I don't know how I would do this lesson. So I'm not like being critical, but mm. you know, the, and there's a series of these videos and they all like, and we're watching them individually. So not really like watching them together and talking about it. But I think it was maybe the second or third video in this lesson series in which what they they do is, is collect additional data, collect additional observations to further refine their explanations. And I think this is the part where I think the teacher maybe have, has kind of showed their hand a little bit more in that, they specifically said, here are the, here's the, here is the equipment you can choose from. And it was very, it was leading. Sure. Right. Yeah. Or now, it was constrained at least. Right? It was constrained. I think that'd be probably a better way of explaining it. Now they can't do anything, right? They can't sure. say, oh, I want to do, let's, let's test with radioactive material. Right. Yeah. Let's light the building <laughs> on fire and see what right. happens. Yeah, they can't yeah, do that. Can't so, do I that. mean, there's there are going to be some constraints to their open sort of like discovery type of yeah. testing of explanations, you know. But I think that to me, that was a place where I, I thought um, possibly the teacher and the, I mean, this is an expert teacher, so I'm not going to like be critical. But I think that um, the teacher could have maybe guided a little bit more or maybe they did. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't in the video that I sure. saw. Um, but that's a, another place where it could have been an opportunity for the, 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 the teacher to guide the students into like 
creating ideas like because mm-hmm. you know, the the ideas are rooted in their explanations is like how could we have tested these or what are some of the ways you want to test it okay you know what i'll gather that stuff and see it. we'll we'll bring that stuff in tomorrow right. but coming back to the observation piece i think that's like how we invite students right that mm-hmm. imitation of inviting students to you know um challenge their beliefs challenge or and test their explanations mm-hmm. i think that's a that's a critical move for us to be able to observe and see and, and this is not for every science classroom but it's for these ones right um because yeah. how we how we bring students into that is going to i come back to that positioning thing but i think that's the like is it a are, are we positioning students in a passive role Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, or are we positioning students in a more active you know in i want to use the word inquiry because it's, I it, it, because i do want to use it but i i know it comes with all that baggage yeah um well and, we've talked about epistemic agency right and i think right. this is a perfect example that's that. it like yeah that is it it yeah. is when like seeing that that is the thing that we have got to get better at seeing mm-hmm. like how does the epistemic agency get fostered in the classroom? Cause it's, it's the invitation. And that's where I think that, I mean, I, I, I that's the piece. Cause when she says, here's the equipment, she's really constraining their agency mm-hmm. in a, in, in a really thoughtful, intentional way. But yep. I think that using that as a lens is the powerful thing. And you, like, if you don't have that lens, if you're not looking at these lessons from that perspective, you're missing it. Yeah. No, I agree. And I think, you know, part of the reason that's why I developed these questions, um, because I think uh, it let it gives you an analytical frame for having a conversation about a particular episode or incident, right? So if we were to take this as an example, right? So we have this teacher, she's about to move, they've done their initial explanations. She's about to move into letting them do some investigations on their own. And so she brings in a bunch of materials, sets them up for the kids to look at and says, okay, here's, here is, um, here's the stuff you can choose from. So you know, and I hear you trying to avoid this, you know, avoid making yeah. sort of a, a, an evaluative judgment about it. And I understand why you're doing that. And I agree with it. Right. So the question is, well, how do we then talk about what she did um, in a way that helps us better understand teaching? So the questions are like, OK, so what does that move say to the kids about how science works as a practice? So that's the first right. question. So if we look at this and we say, OK, well, what does it say? I don't know. You want to take a whack? Because we haven't talked about this. We're, we're doing this on the fly. We are so, doing it on the fly. So what do you <laughs> think? Like, what do you think that says to kids about what science is as a practice? Well, I think one, that w- science that we test the ideas, right? Yeah. And we can't, and not any test is, you know, relevant. Not every test is possible. Right. Like there's that that there are limits to the tests we can perform, and right. some of it is based in in time and space. Some of it's based in safety, but some mm-hmm. of it's based on just availability of the equipment that we have, yep. right? And so I think that 
helping students understand that science has limits, right? Real limits. Right. So you just spun a very nice version, right? So you, you that was actually not in any way critical, right? You, you, right. you, which I think is, is fine. So I guess I'll, I'll try and do the counterpoint, which is <laughs> like, what was the negative thing about the choice that she made? Because I, uh, not negative, but how does that pitch a different version of science, maybe a version of science that is less productive than the one that you just described, right? So I think what you just described is, in many respects, this idea of, well, empirical testability, right? We test things sure. empirically. That's the thing we do. And then the second one, which is that science as a discipline is limited by resources, both human and financial resources in what it can investigate. And that does actually have big implications for what questions get investigated in science, right? You know, funding is a notoriously big um factor in what science gets done and what science doesn't get done. So I think I think all those things are very interesting and relevant to this. Um, I think the the potentially bad, not bad, the the because there I'm using a value of language again. So <laughs> another version of science that that this is pitching is like, um, well, you science is about selecting from a set of experiments, the one that's most useful for the current question that you're asking. And that, and that isn't really the way science works, right? That there aren't a set of experiments out there that you choose from every time that you're investigating a question, you're developing your, your investigatory process for that question. And it's unique. So it's, so yeah, it's constrained by resources. Um, but it isn't like, Oh, here are the, here are the experimental setups you can choose from to test your idea. So it, so there, there are some things that it perhaps miscommunicates about science. Um, but that said, I think you, you characterized a really, uh, a, almost a laundry list of really positive things that it does in helping, um, kids understand the nature of science and as a practice. Um, so I, I think as I'm thinking about the two questions you're, you're posing. So the first one is, so spell these out again, because I think they do have a really good way of framing the observations, the things that we see in classrooms. And this is, this is great for your students, but I think it's a, maybe even a broader conversation that we can bring into our professional <laughs> development. Yeah. I, I, I think we should just steal that and bring yeah. that in there. <laughs> yeah. I think it may, I mean, yeah, I think it it is. I'm, I mean, I'm I'm hoping it's it's a useful framework for lots of stuff, and and I'm probably gonna I'm increasingly thinking it's gonna be a big part of this semester and how we do video analysis down the road and how we, but but the second question was what message is communicated about science class as a community? So what does it tell you about the way this classroom operates as a community? Um, is it good, like a community of learners is a community yeah, of yeah yeah as a community of learners right so so independent so, of the science part what does this say about the relationship for example between the teacher and the students so this goes back to the epistemic agency question or right. um so yeah so you want to take a you want to take a whack at this again or well with with that are you talking with that part of the lesson or are you well i i'm saying look at that cuz uh, cuz we look at that same scenario i'm not um, those questions can be asked of every occasion, right? Sure. Some will be more about science, some will be more about the community, and some will be a mix. But I mean, I think, well, I'll try, I'll 
go first this sure. time. So looking at this, you look at this and you say, okay, well, what did she indicate? Well, first of all, she she has indicated that the, the students have responsibility for making some decisions about what's happening next in class, right? So mm-hmm. she has she has said in this community, I am not the decider of what happens next. We decide this together. Um, and 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 also that everybody doesn't have to do the same thing. So it, as a learning community, the the goal is not for everybody to learn exactly the same thing or do exactly the same thing. The goal of this community is to understand the thing that we're trying to understand. And so she has communicated that as well by saying like here, you know, we're, we've got lots of choices, but also groups can choose their own thing. So if Ollie's group wants to do something different than Scott, that's okay. Um, so I think she's communicated, you know, that has been uh, communicated or, or contributed to the norm that, um, that it is a community and that we're working together to understand these problems. So I'm, I'm going to go down a rabbit hole for a second. Yes. Please. I, well, I, I, I think, I think you do a good job of teasing that out and, and framing it positively. I'm thinking, are these questions taking out science? Are they good ways of framing any language from a disciplinary perspective? So if you were watching, I don't know, an art teacher teach, yeah. or if you were watching a social studies teacher teach, um, or or music teacher, I'm 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 rattling off these folks, yeah, not yeah. not as not just arbitrarily, right? Because I have a uh, a group of I've been assigned like a, no. a dozen different teacher candidates this the fall. It's kind of like pre student teaching, yeah. Um, and during pre-student teaching experience, we we do some informal observations of of our, our our teacher candidates, and so I've been charged with you know watching an art teacher. I'll I'll be observing and providing feedback for an art teacher. I'll be observing and providing feedback to uh, a music teacher, and I'm happy to do it. It's gonna it's fun. Sure. It's great to see. Like I was in a music classroom this morning, and I got to see you know a music teacher working with an orchestra. You know, a and it was awesome to see right and i love it um but i wonder whether those those questions like swapping out the disciplinary language are ways to frame like just observations in general thoughts yeah i think so i mean so you're saying if like question one is what message is being communicated about blank as a practice or as a discipline or whatever and then the second question is about what message is being, yeah, I mean, I think they are, um, because I think the truth is that this is, these questions are, are true. Well, not true. They are good measures or good analytical frame for any classroom. And they don't depend on it being ambitious science teaching or even regular science teaching or whatever, right? Like you can go into any classroom and say, okay, the teacher did X, what is that communicating about the the disciplinary area that they're teaching, and what does it communicate about what's what the nature of this classroom is and the relationships in it? Yeah, and I I think that the second question, I mean, I would love it to be more a, a little more leading, you know, to get them to really tease out the epistemic agency. But I I, I like how you framed it because I think that you know is broader. It gives a, a lot more things to look at, a lot more things to consider in terms of because the community is broader than just agency. You know, yeah. I mean, I think agency is an important part of that, but for sure, it's that it's broader than that. 
I don't know if this episode became what what I mean. It's not what I I think I intended, but mm-hmm. I think it's it, where we're landing. I think is probably better than what I thought it was. You know, because I think that where we got was these these questions that are really great framing devices. Um, my initial thoughts were, how do we help people see? But that's exactly what you're asking them to do. Mm. But it's not just like getting in the weeds of, you know, the, the the practices, but the broader, more important things about community and what we can communicate about our subject areas and how we learn those subject areas and and understand and like and, and that all that stuff about the ways of knowing, you know, that's yeah. the cool, that's the cool stuff. Yeah, and I think you know there is. There is even beyond what you were saying, there is a meta argument that you could use this equally well to examine a teacher education classroom. So oh, yeah. if if you said, what is the message being communicated from a particular pedagogical approach in oh, teacher ed? What wow. is being communicated about teaching as a practice and what is being communicated about the teacher education classroom as a community of learners? Yes. I think. So yeah. you could look at that too. So that that kind of makes my heart hurt a little bit because yeah. of some of the things that I've experienced as a yeah yeah as a beginning teacher, you know. Yeah. Yeah, but I mean, I think it's true. Like, if I look back, if I did this kind of analysis of my physics teaching when I was teaching physics, it I would not be happy with the results, right? I mean, I would not, even though I thought of myself, and I think my students for the most part thought of me as a pretty good science teacher. I think if I went back and looked at what I was doing and used this as a frame, it wouldn't play well for me. And, and I, but I think that's the nature of growth and learning, right? I mean, I think one of the things that, that I'm now interested in thinking about with the, cause I'm always interested in the parallels between science teaching and, and science teacher teaching um, science teacher education is if these are questions that we can ask about classrooms, like what are the answers in terms of what are we trying to accomplish in terms of those norms? And, you know, you were talking about epistemic agency is one of them. Yeah. What are the, what are the other ones? Could we articulate them? I think I can. Things like progressive discourse is another way to characterize, for example, science as a practice. But what I'm hoping is that students will start to observe these things and say, and then just like in in what we do as science teaching, I can say, well, actually, that thing that you've identified, that's called empirical testability. That's an exist, like people identified that as a real thing in the same way that you develop an understanding of potential energy, but you don't get the label until the end. Then in, yeah. once you understand it, you say, hey, that thing that you've been talking about all this time, that's actually potential energy, Yeah. right? I mean, it's, it's what scientists call potential energy, right? Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. So we'll see. I will report back how things go, and we'll all report back on the PD and if we if we end up using it in there. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So, uh, joys, joys. Uh, do you have a joy? I do. Okay, then I think you should go first because I need to think for a minute. So, besides being an avid reader, and besides mm-hmm. you know watching movies and TV and you know listening to podcasts there's one thing that brings me joy every fall and it's fantasy football oh my. i know i know have you seen the league by the way Sorry. i have not i have not um i i will say i've been in a league i i play one league all right okay. so there are, there are folks who play numerous ones 
actually, I mean, what I, I, I love is fantasy. I don't love fantasy football as much as I like fantasy baseball. However, mm. I am banned from playing fantasy baseball. Really? <laughs> oh, yes. I am banned from playing fantasy baseball wow. by, by my bride, my lovely, lovely wife. Um, it just takes over my life. And it just becomes yeah. There are a lot more baseball games than there are football nah. games. It turns out, yeah. And so, I mean, it, I I wouldn't say I was banned. It's more of an agreement that yeah. if I want to stay married, <laughs> I must not do fantasy football, fantasy so, baseball, uh, fantasy baseball. So yeah. fantasy football is much more. I mean, it's, there's just a handful of weeks, like sixteen, eighteen weeks, whatever, and then. Um, you know, only a handful of games, um, just enough to, you know, keep you interested in, and it, it's, it is so I'm a sports fan. I like to watch sports and I like to attend sporting events, but I think more than that, I like this, the competitive nature. I've been in a league with these, with this group of guys for probably, I don't know, 10 years, 15 mm-hmm. years. So it's the same, most of the same guys. And it's just every fall, it's the trash talking, it's the, you know, camaraderie. And it's just nice to have that kind of like, just with when fall comes around, I know to expect that. I know to gear up for it. It's something to look forward to. Um, So we're starting the, you know, the NFL season. This is about that time. And so we're going to be doing our draft soon. And, you know, it's just, yeah, it's just something for me to look forward to every fall. And then, you know, it's also one of these things where I get to like really dig into data and and try to figure out, you know, mm-hmm. trends and, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. different defenses, different offenses, you know, rankings of offensive lines and all that kind of stuff. And it's it's kind of a cool diversion for me, but it still plays into like a lot of the things that, you know, drive me and like some of that analytics and analysis, but also the trash talking. There's that too. (laughs) Yeah. So I, this is not my joy, but I am going to say to you, you need to watch the league. I've only watched bits of it. Um, A friend of mine just loves it, is obsessed with it, but, um, but you should really watch it because it is sounds so right up your alley given your propensity for uh well the thing the thing for me is like like so i love teaching i never watch tv shows or movies around teaching you know and that's the part that's a challenge for me is like it like i love fantasy football but would i find like the entertainment around it i don't know i'll have to check it out check it out because it's not really about fantasy football it's about the shit talking right right (laughs) and and this we have to put guys. an explicit la- label on this oh. now, Scott, because you just dropped that. What did uh, you say? Did you you say said that? it. No, I know, but what did you say? Trash talking. Trash talking. Oh, uh, we got to put that explicit label on there. People oh, are yeah. shut. Like, we're going to get angry emails. <clears throat> Probably not. This show is not for kids. It's not for kids. And that's only to say, for all you babies out there listening, you're, <laughs> you're very cool. <laughs> you're the coolest babies we know. <laughs> coolest babies. Um, so. Okay. Uh, my joy, I just, I, as we were talking, I realized like, well, of course I have a joy and I have a perfect example of it. So um, last night I watched Serena Williams win her second round match yes. at the U.S. Open. And so I got to say, like, I, I'm unlike you, I'm not actually much of a sports person. I do watch a lot of Premier League football. But the other thing that I do watch because I I fashion myself as a beginner tennis player and I like playing tennis. My, my wife and I play tennis and a little bit, we hit tennis balls. Let's, let's describe it that way. <laughs> uh, sometimes they stay in the court, sometimes less, but, um, 
but I do like watching tennis because now that I play a little bit, I even more respect the, the impressive ability of, of these folks that do this game. But last night was, I mean, it was, it was spectacular to watch Serena Williams do this thing that she is, you know, the greatest at. And, uh, and it was, it brought me a tremendous amount of joy and watching it, we were watching it with my family and, it was just, you know, it's amazing. So I do think there is something about sport, whether it's fantasy football or whether it's, it's, um, you know, watching athletes compete in those, in those events that is spectacular. And, and you don't have to be a nerd. You don't have to like get all in the stats and the business of it. You can just watch this and see, um, just incredible athleticism and, and just, yeah, just really cool to see this 41 year old mother come out and, just kicked butt and uh yeah it was so that definitely brought me joy yeah and it's always cool whenever you know that uh someone is like their careers i mean she's gonna retire this is she's evolving right but she's retiring yeah and and you know maybe well you never know when her last win is gonna be right and so like I know uh, when I was watching the Winter Olympics a few months ago, um, we were watching some folks who were, you know, snowboarders and things who were retiring and yeah. we're like, you know, this could be the, his, his last run. This could be her last run. It yeah. was just cool to see. Yeah. Sean White. I think we talked Sean specifically White, right. about Sean White, right? Yep. Like, yeah. And I think that's the thing that, you know, brings the excitement about sports. It's the, cause it's, I mean, yeah, it's about winning and losing, blah, blah, blah. But it's also, about you know the that personal achievements like she has a career of personal achievements that are Mm -hmm. like that like it's amazing it's amazing to see and i'm a huge serena williams fan huge i mean Uh, how could you not be yeah so yeah there may be people who aren't serena williams but the fans but they're not friends of ours no no so there you go it's a a criteria so season three quiz season three started here we are are. one one episode in yeah and it was a banger it was awesome what a what a great episode i had a sneeze coming and it just Uh, decided to leave (laughs) it it said i will not ruin this moment yeah i was i had a sneeze that was it was like coming in and i was like yeah i'm good never mind changed my mind all right well hey thanks for being here and we'll catch you next time in between see you then bye now